Hello, everyone. Welcome back. It's Julie Bates with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 255. And the uh, troubleshooting thing seems to have gone over well, so I'm going to continue with that for a little bit. Goodness, there are lots of troubles to be shot uh, in, in this dog training thing. So I, I hope that's been helpful to people. I've got two today that have been flaring up with various people and friends and stuff around that I want to talk about. And one is if you, uh, train by yourself and so you don't have really the use much of birds and shot flyers and stuff, cause it's just you and your wingers or your thunder launchers or whatever you've got, you know, how do you prepare literally for an event where they'd use nothing but birds that have been recently shot? And the other one is to, instead of how do we fix our breaking dog problem, let's talk about how we don't create uh, or at least open the door to that problem because not always, but very often that's what happens. You know, our dog seems real stable and real steady, so we don't even worry about that. We're thinking about, you know, challenging marking and handling and stuff. And when you start to let that slide with some dogs, then that can soon turn into a breaking problem. So how do you identify that and keep that from happening? And, and which is an also, in a sense, really the same way that you troubleshoot that if you start to have that problem because it's not you know if your dog is going to break it's when your dog is going to break because on any given day just screwball stuff happens so no matter how reliable your dog is always be uh, just to have that insurance card in your pocket that that's not going to be one of the first places where things start to slip so talking about the first one if you are someone who is kind of isolated from other trainers, people who train the way that you do. And so you don't have somebody to shoot flyers for you. Um, and you don't have a big old freezer in the garage where you can, you know, keep all of those birds and stuff. You know, how do you, how do you, uh, how do you prepare for a, a field event? Because in a field event, that's all in the United States, I think Canada, they've gone a lot to Dokens, if not entirely. But here, you know, we still, in AKC, we shoot flyers. Um, in the other uh, things, I think, you know, flyers are shot and then used, the dead birds are thrown. And sometimes the dead birds are thrown multiple times because <laughs> there's so many dogs and so many marks and just a few days. And so, and birds are expensive and everything's expensive. So, you know, there's, the birds are going to be reused. So they're not all like you're hunting and there's just some BBs right through the heart and the bird comes back in pristine shape. And also the other part of that is when you're running through heavy cover, which in a lot of the parts of the country right now, certainly ours, uh, there's a lot of heavy cover. And so when the dogs, you know, when 20 or 50 or a hundred dogs bring birds back through a bunch of heavy cover, there is bird scent everywhere. And if you don't train with bird scent, then drag back can be, can be very problematic. So how do you, what can you do to at least help yourself on those things? So that's what I want to talk about in this first one. Um, excuse me a second. So 
the first thing you want to do is is be aware that a plastic thing that looks as a facsimile of a uh, bird to us is very very different there's no life force in that there's no off gas there's no scent there's not it's not a living thing and of course the dogs know it now it can they can get really good yes you gotta have a good nose to find a plastic thing in ice cold you know conditions and snow and stuff very very true but in competition you're gonna have to find a bird if you've ever seen a dog that's never had like a flyer shot for it and the, it's not never had a flyer shot for it and the flyer is shot in an event and it's not dead and it's either flapping or running around or doing some of the kind of icky things that they do that'll just blow a dog's mind <laughs> he'll come running back or they'll bark at it or they'll be completely confused so you know and there goes your entry free fee right out the window you can't make any assumptions that the dog is going to go oh that's a bird it's just not dead i need to go get it you know some will some are so aggressive that they will do that others will be completely just completely flummoxed by what's happening and not know what to do and so you can prevent that to some degree you can't really auto you can't have your winger shoot flyers for you um, but there are things you can at least do a lot to to prevent some of the problems Ducks do not smell real good, as anyone who's trained with them knows. They, they, I think you and I could go out almost and sniff up a duck sometimes with the scent that they have, especially when you reuse them and stuff like that. So it's a very strong scent, and it's a little bit uh, pungent. Some dogs, first, first time you throw a, a frozen duck former a duck, you know, fresh killed, whatever, some dogs... You know, they just go for it. And then you throw them a frozen one and they just go for it. They, you know, shoot, you could throw a doorknob and they would go for it. But other dogs, when you first, you know, they'll go get quail or they'll go get chucker, some you know, pleasant upland birds that they've had as little guys. And then you go throw a duck for them. And they're just like, ew, <laughs> ew, that is not nice because it's a different taste to them I'm assuming I haven't tasted them um, different smell it's bigger it's different it's kind of wettish and so it's can be to some dogs a very very different thing so one you want them used to uh, ducks if you're going to be running most retriever venues uh, because that you can't throw pheasant and chucker and stuff in the water because they, they don't last at all they always use ducks and so you're going to need familiarity with a duck now if you hunt you know a lot of people oh, i hunt so my dogs know ducks well you know when you shoot a big old mallard and it goes down and your dog goes out and gets it that smells like a freshly shot duck and that's all it doesn't smell like 20 other dogs spit on it it's fluffy it's you know heavily feathered it floats really well <laughs> it's a it's just awesome it's like perfection and in competition you know you're running on sunday evening and they're using all the ducks that they have left they dried them out and are doing the best they can you know sometimes you have a duck that's been thrown in the water all day and it barely breaks a feather or two above the above the water and so again you need to have them where they're where they're used to that 
So the only one, you've got to have the ducks. That's why I'm saying that. Two, when, when you run events with marks and dogs are going out and bringing ducks back, when they bring the duck back, they are depositing duck smell all the way back. And when they run through heavy cover, right, and the duck is literally, that's in their mouth, is contacting the cover, they're basically sending up the area. And if your dog is not used to, you know, if you're on a pro truck, it's great because you're drag, it's called drag back, right? Because they're dragging the bird back and it's leaving its scent all the way. The dogs are used to that because whoever's third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, etc., you know, they're, they're going where dog, they get very used to that. If you're a one banger and it's just you, then there usually is no drag back. And hopefully you aren't repeating your marks because that's generally not a good idea. So, <laughs> so the drag back can be a little bit of a problem. And then handling a bird um, is not like handling a piece of plastic. You know, they have to treat it exactly the same way. So your standards can't change. They got to come back in, heel, sit down, and hand it to you. And, you know, again, that should be done very carefully. So how do you, how, for one, how, how do you get ready for that? So that means you have to have ducks. Now, how, where you get these and how you get them, one, it needs to be legal. <laughs> I say that. Or at least as legal as possible. Because in, in Colorado, we had to buy ducks from a licensed, uh, uh, commercially licensed provider of ducks. And we had to be able to prove if anybody, if the Department of Wildlife ever came by, you know, yes, these are, we were not out shooting mallards on the river and then using them for training because that here is actually illegal. And so we had to have proof of that. So just be aware that sometimes, you know, if you're in where people are seeing you, that can be an issue. But, so you have to procure ducks. Now, it would be really nice if you could get someone to help you every now and then if you could per procure a few live ones and shoot some flyers and get somebody who, you know, could help you with that. I know there are a lot of people who have, <laughs> they tape them up and fling them and have a dog, uh, the dog bring them back alive. I could never do that. That just seemed, that was too much for me. But then, you know, we always were shooting them anyway. But you have to have ducks. And if you don't have, if you, let's just say, you, you know, you've got to somehow, you know, even if you have to pay a pro that's 300 miles away one weekend to go there and shoot some flyers or something, you're going to have to do that. But get your hands on some ducks, whether it's from leftovers, from a, a, an event that you ran, whether you find someone that has done that. You know, if it's legal in your state to go ahead and throw your hunted ducks, then keep those. Um, but you need to have the ducks, and you might have to get creative about finding them. Now, if you get your ducks and you freeze them, and don't freeze them all splayed out, you know, because stuff will break off. So you fold their head and tuck their wings and stuff, and then you freeze them. Now, if you only have the family freezer, you might want to really seal them up well. And keep them at the bottom and out of sight or buy a little freezer that you keep in the garage where you can keep these guys but you've got to have that if you can keep from throwing them in the water they will last a lot longer 
when you throw them in the water, even when you dry them out, they're going to wear out sooner. But ducks can last. I've had ducks I've been able to use for in the wintertime, all winter. Never, ever had to throw any of them away because they never really got in the water. Um, during the summer when they do get wet or it's just really hot and the flies get on them and stuff, you got to be a little bit careful. But if you take real good care of them and the drier they are, uh, the better, um, that's helpful. If you do get them through the water, you know, at least have them land on land if you can most of the time. And then just have the dog swim back with them, hang them out to dry, you know, and then when they're dry, freeze them real quickly. You can make them last uh, quite a while. That's very important. So in your wingers or your launchers or whatever you have, try to use ducks uh, frequently. You don't have to do it every day. But try to do that so that they become very accustomed to looking for a duck scent. And, you know, after a while, it's not as strong and it's not as nice, and they can still go find it anyway. And I like to let other dogs retrieve them, too, so there's other dogs spit on there, and they're used to that because you certainly have to be used to that in an event. Now, as far as the dragback part of that, once your dog understands the bird thing, the duck thing out there, and again, if you're doing retriever events in the U.S., you kind of need, need to have ducks. So you've got to get your hands on those. A chucker is not a duck. A pheasant is not a duck. Different smell, different everything. And ducks are kind of yucky. But once your dog is accustomed to retrieving these birds that you carefully handle, um, now you're going to have to teach them a little bit about drag back. So if you set up uh, a couple marks and you go somewhere where there's some heavy cover, not just tons and tons of it, but there's a big old strip that they got to run through and the mark is on the other side of this cover strip, laid, I don't care, laid out in the open, right? So that if they get through the cover, then they will be able to see the bird. But what you want to do is take your, your duck take all your ducks or take your duck that you're going to go put out in your launcher on the other side of the cover strip and um, go out and send up that where the dog will be going out and coming back send it up so that you know and at first so you send it all up and that's by rubbing the duck on the cover just just like if the dog were carrying it through you know get it on the fairly extensively get it on there so there's a fairly good scent and then go put it in the launcher or whatever you have, go back and run the mark. Now, it'll be interesting to see what your dog does. Probably, probably when they hit that cover and smell that scent, they're going to start hunting. So then you can, you know, whatever you do, whether you handle or let them figure it out, you know, that's another training aspect. Do whatever you would think. They're not in trouble. Don't get after them because you've taught them to go look for duck scent and they just found it. Now they have to learn how to go look for the duck scent that they saw. And yes, they can differentiate, but that's an experience kind of a thing. And so that's, this is how you teach that. And so you may have to handle them. And then there's a mark you could repeat. Right, go throw that again and teach them. Run right through that duck scent and go to where you saw that bird go. And then you could set up that several times. I wouldn't do that all the time, but I would make it part of my regular training sometimes and, and wise usage of, of the cover so that they learned go where you saw the bird, not just where you smell something. 
because that's something that is easily teachable, not through a, a lot of pressure and correction, but by experience. It's a skill. So teach them how to differentiate between, oh, I smell something, I'm done. Because if you run things at any higher levels, you'll have to run poison bird blinds. You'll have to run marks over or blinds over scented points. Um, all of that is a skill at the higher levels they have to learn. But certainly at the beginning level, teach them. Run through scent uh, if you think, if you saw it go somewhere else. So that's a one of the ways to, that you can do by yourself uh, to make the bird thing not be such a big deal. Now, the other thing is the breaking. And it's funny because it's always... It tends to be the same people that always have the same problems over a lot of time. It's just interesting. So it, it tells you that it's really more about the training approach and what they're doing than it is really the individual dog. So breaking is, you got to get it real clear in your mind what it is to the dog. Because I know we all have our own ideas. And, and what I'm saying here is not like gospel by any means. It's just my experience. I'm not a high-pressure person. So I like to problem prevent a lot more. So one of the ways, let's just say, let's, let's, we got a puppy and we're, we're progressing through and we do not want to have any more of a breaking problem than we have to have on this dog. So you never do anything on a retriever that takes away their desire to retrieve. Now, after a while, they get so excited, that's, that's hard to do. You'd have to be brutal and unfair uh, to do that. But on a little puppy, it'd be, it's, sometimes you can. If, if you try to make them steady, and I've seen people make a, a young puppy steady before it was passionate about going. So now we got this kind of ambiguous, well, I like it, but I always have to sit, so I'm not sure I really like it kind of thing going, and it, that's unpleasant to watch. So always make sure that the dog is kind of chomping at the bits to go before you decide to make it steady, okay? That's very important. So if your dog is moderately interested, then let's kill the steady and get the interest up as high as that dog can go. Um, and some it's way high, and some it's, you know, fairly high, so, but you got to be careful. So once you've reached, you know, this dog's level of interest and desire in this stuff, right, you want to you wanna undertake steadiness. Now, some little puppies at 14 weeks and 16 weeks, you can make them sit. And if they're, you know, the fire-breathing dragon, right, if they're just wanting to go, let's make them sit because that nothing is going to take away their desire to go. However, when you make them sit, it is not a negotiated behavior. When you've got your little four-month-old dog and you got one that's just dying to go, all right, then it has to be on its, on your, at your side, left or right, whatever it is, not outside, not in front of you, not somewhere, at your side, just like you were competing or sitting in a duck blind. It's got to be there seated facing the direction the action's going to happen. And when you do that, you can have your little, you can have a, if you've got a long cord on still because you're making them have to come back, or you have a short, little short tab on, so you have a hold of them on the choke chain, and you can literally put your foot 
on their tail. I didn't say step on their tail because then they're going to screech and not want to sit next to you. You just put that foot over on their tail. And if they don't like it, that's too bad. Just don't put any pressure on it. If they're excited to go, they are. They don't care. They're not even hardly going to notice. But what you're doing by doing that is keeping that little bottom from scooting. Because scooting is the first step of breaking. And so keep keep them from scooting. And hold on to the tab. Don't choke them. Don't have tension on it unless you have to have. Keep their little bottom down because you can, but you're controlling their tail right up next to their back. And then don't wait. We're not trying to test this and go five, eight seconds, all right? Just make sure that they don't go until they've sat and have yielded and then send them. There's a lot of judgment in this. You know, I've seen people make a dog wait eight or nine seconds like they're going to impress you with it. That doesn't impress me at all. Um, you're going to make the dog just start thinking about other stuff. This is a baby. They don't have that big of an attention span. When they're older, yeah, they can wait however long. So just make sure that what we actually are teaching them is that once your bottom is down and you're faced in that direction, it's all done. There's nothing else. We're not moving, scooting. So people that do um, the remote thing, and everyone's always so proud of this, and I understand why, where they can put their little dog on a sit and they can walk out there 50 yards or 100 yards or whatever they're doing and throw the bumper and then send them from out there. Oh, everybody loves that. And I always just go, oh, no, because there's, if there's scooting going on, even if it's just a little bit, there's scooting going on. And that gets in when they do that with repetition, that becomes built into their thinking. Oh, something's going on. And they move a little bit forward. Okay, that's where that starts. So, you know, if you can possibly avoid that, <laughs> I would do that <laughs> because that you can't control anything going on on the line when you're not there. And on a young dog, um, that's where they're learning what goes on on the line. So I'd be very, very uh, careful about that. So in your mind, and if you're trying to solve a breaking problem you have, that's the first thing you have in your mind is, all right, you're not moving. You're just not moving. So it's not... And I, I realize in uh, HRC, you know, the dog literally does have to move sometimes to be able to see stuff. But when you're training them in the beginning, let's teach them that moving is not what they do. Later on, when they're a little further, more advanced in doing the multiples, and you do require some movement, all right, they still understand don't move unless, you know, I swing the gun barrel or I say something. I would get that... Uh, just don't move. Just sit and watch. Focus. Only your brain is on this, nothing else. That really prevents a lot of future problems. Really, really does. And so when you start using guns with marks and stuff like that, again, you can just set that foot on that tail. And that works with with all puppies and not little tiny puppies guys if you can sit there with your hands and hold a little tiny puppy but when they start to get a little bigger then you just have that foot on the tail and you only press down if you need to keep that bottom down and if they get away from you you got to tap you've got to be holding on to them you know again i see people do puppies with no leash at on and they tell them to sit and and then stay 57 times in a row at, at talking and talking oh, um 
instead just use it hold on to them with a little tab on their collar that they can you know that they, they can drag through anything and they'll be okay but you hold on to them never let them go until you send them then they'll never learn that they can go until you send them i mean that's like easy easiest easy peasy 101 just don't you know sometimes oh we've got away from me darn it oh i won't do it just just make sure every time you're as serious, every time you're as serious as if it's the final series of the national, make them sit down, hold on to them, don't let them go until you send them. Now, happy bumpers, that's a different thing. They're loose, they're out in front of you, you're telling them how great they are, you're hup-hupping and throwing it, that's fine. But when we're running marks and doing retrieves, sit next to me and you don't move. So if you've made that consistent, as soon as you could, without uh, detracting from the desire to retrieve. That's going to be really, really big. The other part of this for everybody is when you're running your dog, and let's say you're listening to this going, I already got that. My dog is like that. And I brought this up in other podcasts. When you're running marks or blinds or doing things on the line, and how many times have you either seen this or done this? Um, Somebody walks up to the line and sits down, and let's say they're going to, I don't i don't care, run a blind or marks, and they sit down, and the dog isn't right, so they take a couple steps forward. Well, so the dog takes a couple steps forward. Well, now they're not right a couple steps forward. And so then, and we've got all this stuff going on and movement, which is not sitting. So in other words, the fundamental obedience is not there. You have to have fundamental fundamental obedience as a precursor to not breaking. So when you come up to the line, make sure your dog walks at your side, comes up in the direction you want, and sits down in the direction you want, and is done. And you don't train that by running marks. You train that in your basic obedience. And then you just utilize it on running your marks. It is ultra critical. Ultra critical. So your dog has to really believe that their job up there is to sit next to you and watch and go and scent. And if you approach it that way, then your dog will maintain that. But, uh, you know, a lot of time we're just having a good time and you got a fire-breathing dragon and that's so cool, right? And look at, oh, and they're up and down and jumping around and being all excited. And, oh, and and you're kind of enjoying that. You're going to pay a price for that. The dog is going to pay a price for that later on because pretty soon you want that dog not to be that way, but to walk up and put all of that high-intensity energy in the retrieve, not the sitting on the line part. So make sure that you make that your dog is very serious as you are going to the line and as you're sitting on the line. And that starts from the beginning. And it's every time you train, whether it's in a big training group or all by yourself. If you allow some slop when you're just by yourself and your wingers, then you will have major slop when it's exciting and there's people and there's not wingers, but flyers are going down and birds are out there and splashes and all that stuff. Then any slop just just exponentially blows up on you right there. So the easiest way to prevent breaking kind of problems is by teaching them when you're on the line, you're done. This is all business. And you start that in your training. 
And that's why when you watch the really good pros, they aren't fighting that battle at all. Not that there aren't dogs that break because they any given day, but they're not fighting that battle. They walk up and sit down. And the dog's focus is, is on the retrieves and nothing else. And again, that's developed in training. And the only way you can have it good in training is if you have your basic um, obedience. And I don't know how many people have told me that I need to understand that this dog is really wired and is really a high roller and goes really fast. Like that makes any difference. I, <laughs> I was like, I understand that. They can still sit. Yes, they can. It's their mind that you ha are, need to get all focused in one spot. So just regardless of their speed or level of desire, they can all be taught to walk up and sit down. And so when they don't walk up and sit down, or they do walk up and sit down and then scoot and then wiggle, they are sending you a lot of signals. And they aren't positive. Because, in other words, the body is kind of taking over the mind, and they just want to go. And you cannot have that mindset. They've got to walk up, sit down, and have the mind entirely focused on the retrieve. And then once given the cue, turn it over to the body and, you know, run out there at Mach 5 and get it. So if you can change your thinking a little bit about that. Now, that's... a a lot of little detail and a lot of little boring stuff it's also the key to all of that stuff in my opinion there's more to this stuff but those are the fundamentals of that so that's going to be today's um you need to train with birds and you can get real creative with it and get it done but it is important so if you're at an event you know say can i buy some of the dead birds from you do you have any left over even if some of them are yucky take the yucky ones it's better than not having anything and train with birds that aren't great because you are going to have to go retrieve some birds that are really not great on the end of a weekend on a long weekend at an event so just be ready for it instead of blaming it for the reason that you failed that would be a real good idea that's this week's. Um, I'll probably go this way for a little while. Um, anybody have any suggestions that you feel real strongly about? Let me know. Meanwhile, I hope everybody stays out of the floods, out of the heat, and uh, good luck with all your dog stuff.